This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. The Romance of Tristan and Isolde by Joseph Bedier. Translated by H. Belloc. Part the First. The Tall Pine Tree. As King Mark came down to greet Isolde upon the shore, Tristan took her hand and led her to the king, and the king took season of her, taking her hand. He led her in great pomp to his castle of Tintagel, and as she came in hall, amid the vassals, her beauty shone, so that the walls were lit as they are lit at dawn. Then King Mark blessed those swallows which, by happy courtesy, had brought the hair of gold, and Tristan also he blessed, and the hundred knights who, on that adventurous bark, had gone to find him joy of heart and of eyes. Yet to him also that ship was to bring sting, torment, and mourning. And on the eighteenth day, having called his barony together, he took his sort to wife. But on the wedding night, to save her friend, Brangian took her place in the darkness, for her remorse demanded even this from her. Nor was the trick discovered. Then Isolde lived as a queen, but lived in sadness. She had King Mark's tenderness and the baron's honour. The people also loved her. She passed her days amid the frescoes on the walls and floors all strewn with flowers. Good jewels had she, and purple cloth, and tapestry of Hungary and Thessaly too, and songs of harpers, and curtains upon which were worked leopards and eagles and pompanjays, and all the beasts of sea and field. And her love too she had, love high and splendid, for as is the custom among great lords, Tristan could ever be near her. At his leisure and his dalliance, night and day, for he slept in the king's chamber as great lords do, among the lieges and the counsellors. Yet still she feared, for though her love were secret, and Tristan unsuspected, for who suspects a son? Brangian knew. And Brangian seemed in the queen's mind like a witness spying, for Brangian alone knew what manner of life she led, and held her at mercy so. And the queen thought, Ah, if some day she should weary of serving as a slave the bed where once she passed for queen. If Tristan should die from her betrayal. So fear maddened the queen, but not in truth the fear of Brangian who was loyal. Her own heart bred the fear. Not Brangian who was faithful, not Brangian, but themselves had these lovers to fear, for hearts so stricken will lose their vigilance. Love pressed them hard, as thirst presses the dying stag to the stream. Love dropped upon them from high heaven, as a hawk slipped after long hunger falls right after the bird. And love will not be hidden. Brangian indeed by her prudence saved them well, nor ever were the queen and her lover unguarded. But in every hour and place, every man could see love terrible that rode them, and could see in these lovers their every sense overflowing like new wine working in the vat. The four felons at court who had hated Tristan of old for his prowess watched the queen. They had guessed that great love, and they burnt with envy and hatred, and now a kind of evil joy. They planned to give news of their watching to the king, to see his tenderness turned to fury, 
Tristan thrust out or slain, and the queen in torment, for though they feared Tristan, their hatred mastered their fear, and, on a day, the four barons called King Mark to parley, and Andret said, Fair king, your heart will be troubled, and we four also mourn, yet are we bound to tell you what we know. You have placed your trust in Tristan, and Tristan would shame you. In vain we warned you, for the love of one man you have mocked ties of blood and all your barony. Learn then that Tristan loves the queen. It is truth proved, and many a word is passing on it now. The royal king shrank and answered, Coward! What thought was that? Indeed I have placed my trust in Tristan, and rightly. For on the day when the Morholt offered combat to you all, you hung your heads and were dumb, and you trembled before him. But Tristan dared him for the honour of this land, and took mortal wounds. Therefore do you hate him, and therefore do I cherish him beyond thee, Andret, and beyond any other. But what then have you seen or heard or known? Nought, Lord, save what your eyes could see or your ears hear. Look you and listen, sire, if there is yet time. And they left him to taste the poison. Then King Mark watched the Queen and Tristan. But Brangie, noting it, warned them both, and the king watched in vain so that, soon wearying of an ignoble task, but knowing, alas, that he could not kill his uneasy thought, he sent for Tristan and said, Tristan, leave this castle, and having left it, remain apart, and do not think to return to it, and do not repass its moat or boundaries. Felons have charged you with an awful treason, but ask me nothing. I could not speak their words without shame to us both. And for your part seek you no word to appease. I have not believed them. Had I done so? But their evil words have troubled all my soul, and only by your absence can my disquiet be soothed. Go. Doubtless I will soon recall you. Go, my son. You are still dear to me. When the felons heard the news, they said among themselves, He is gone, the wizard. He is driven out. Surely he will cross the sea on far adventures to carry his traitor service to some distant king. But Tristan had not strength to depart altogether, and when he had crossed the moats and boundaries of the castle, he knew he could go no further. He stayed in Tintagel town, and lodged with Gorvenal in a Burgess's house, and languished, oh, more wounded than when in that past day the shaft of the Morholt had tainted his body. In the close towers Isolt the fair drooped also, but more wretched still, for it was hers all day long to feign laughter, and all night long to conquer fever and despair. And all night as she lay by King Mark's side, fever still kept her waking, and she stared at darkness. She longed to fly to Tristan, and she dreamt dreams of running to the gates, and of finding there sharp scythes, traps of the felons that cut her tender knees, and she dreamt of weakness and falling, and that her wounds had left her blood upon the ground. Now these lovers would have died, but Brangin succoured them. At peril of her life, she found the house where Tristan lay. There Gorvenal opened to her very gladly, knowing what salvation she could bring. So she found Tristan, and to save the lovers she taught him a device, nor was ever known a more subtle ruse of love. Behind the castle of Tintagel was an orchard, 
fenced around and wide and all closed in with stout and pointed stakes, and numberless trees were there and fruit on them, birds and clusters of sweet grapes. And furthest from the castle by the stakes of the palisade was a tall pine tree, straight and with heavy branches spreading from its trunk. At its root a living spring welled calm into a marble round, then ran between two borders winding, throughout the orchard and so on, till it flowed at last within the castle and through the women's rooms. And every evening by Brangian's counsel, Tristan cut him twigs and bark, leapt the sharp stakes, and, having come beneath the pine, threw them into the clear spring. They floated light as foam down the stream to the women's rooms, and Isolt watched for their coming, and on those evenings she would wander out into the orchard and find her friend. Lither in fear would she come, watching at every step, for what might lurk in the trees observing, foes, or the felons whom she knew, till she spied Tristan, and the night and the branches of the pine protected them. And so she said one night, O oh, Tristan, I have heard that the castle is fairy, and that twice a year it vanishes away. So is it vanished now, and this is that enchanted orchard of which the harpers sing. And as she said it, the sentinels bugled dawn. Isolt had refound her joy. Mark's thought of ill ease grew faint, but the felons felt or knew which way lay truth, and they guessed that Tristan had met the queen. Till at last Duke Andret, whom God shame, said to his peers, My lords, let us take counsel of Frochin the dwarf, for he knows the seven arts and magic and every kind of charm. He will teach us, if he will, the wiles of his sort, the fair. The little evil man drew signs for them, and characters of sorcery. He cast the fortunes of the hour, and then at last he said, Sirs, high good lords, this night shall you seize them both. Then they led the little wizard to the king, and he said, Sire, bid your huntsmen leash the hounds and saddle the horses. Proclaim a seven days' hunt in the forest, and seven nights abroad therein, and hang me high if you do not hear this night what converse Tristan holds. So did the king unwillingly, and at fall of night he left the hunt, taking the dwarf in pillion, and entered the orchard, and the dwarf took him to the tall pine tree, saying, Fair king, climb into these branches, and take with you your arrows and your bow, for you may need them, and bide you still. That night the moon shone clear. Hid in the branches, the king saw his nephew leap the palisades, and throw his bark and twigs into the stream. But Tristan had bent over the round well to throw them, and so doing had seen the image of the king. He could not stop the branches as they floated away, and there yonder, in the women's wombs, Isolt was watching and would come. She came, and Tristan watched her motionless. Above him in the tree he heard the click of the arrow when it fits the string. She came, but with more prudence than her wont, thinking, what has passed that Tristan does not come to meet me? He has seen some foe. Suddenly, by the clear moonshine, she also saw the king's shadow in the fount. She showed the wit of women well, and she did not lift her eyes. Lord God, she said low down, grant I may be the first to speak. Tristan, she said, what have you dared to do calling me hither at such an hour? Often have you called me, to beseech you said, and queen though I am, I know you won me that title, 
and I have come. What would you? Queen, I would have you pray the king for me. She was in tears and trembling, but Tristan praised God the Lord who had shown his friend her peril. Queen, he went on, often and in vain have I summoned you. Never would you come. Take pity. The king hates me, and I know not why. Perhaps you know the cause and can charm his anger. For whom can he trust if not you, chaste queen and courteous Isolt? Truly, Lord Tristan, you do not know he doubts us both, and I, to add to my shame, must acquaint you of it. Ah, but God knows if I lie, never went cut my love to any man but he that first received me. And would you have me at such a time implore your pardon of the king? Why, did he know of my passage here tonight, he would cast my ashes to the wind. My body trembles and I am afraid. I go, for I have waited too long. In the branches the king smiled and had pity, and as Isolt fled, Queen, said Tristan, in the Lord's name help me for charity. Friend, she replied, God aid you. The king wrongs you, but the Lord God will be by you in whatever land you go. So she went back to the women's rooms and told it to Brangin, who cried, Isolt, God has worked a miracle for you for he is compassionate, and will not hurt the innocent in heart. And when he had left the orchard, the king said, smiling, Fair nephew, that ride you planned is over now. But in an open glade apart, Frotin, the dwarf, read in the clear stars that the king now meant his death. He blackened with shame and fear, and fled into Wales. End of the Tall Pine Tree